Welcome to today's program. My name is Rick Renner, and dear friend, I'm seated here waiting for you. Oh, how I love this time when we can sit down together and connect in the Word of God, and Jesus is here with us. He said, if two or three of you will gather together in my name, I'll be there. He never said we had to be in the same room. He just said we had to be gathered together. And I'm here and you're here and Jesus is with us and with Jesus. Today, we're going to be looking at James chapter 2. On Monday, we saw the need to get rid of wrong thinking. Ay, ay, ay. On Tuesday, I gave you five simple steps to change your thinking. On Wednesday, we covered the fact that we need to think straight and write about religion. Yesterday, we talked about prejudice in the church. And today, we're going to talk about keeping our thinking straight about people's economic status and money. But the entire series is called Keeping Your Thinking Straight. And the subtitle says Biblical Guidelines for Thinking Straight in a World All Messed Up. The Bible is so direct and practical about these very important issues. And friend, this is a series that you need to hear and hear and hear and hear. Yesterday's teaching was amazing about no room for prejudice in the church. And today's teaching is just going to be so helpful. And this series comes with a study guide. And you can order both of these by going online or by giving us a call right now. And we're offering you my book. Today is the last day we're offering it called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. The subtitle says Developing Discernment for These Last Days. John Bevere wrote the foreword. 31 Christian leaders endorsed this book. And dear friends, if you feel that you're surrounded by a sea of confusion and nonsense and you need to know how to navigate the season that we're living in, this is the book that you need to read. So please call or go online and order yours right now. And I guarantee this is a book that you're going to want to give to somebody else, especially the first three chapters are riveting about the nonsensical issues we're dealing with in life today and how we as believers should respond to them. We need to keep our head on straight, even though it seems the world has gone crazy. But you can order all of this by going online or by giving us a call. And when you become a partner, we're going to send you two books as our way of saying welcome to our partner family. We're going to send you my book called Life in the Combat Zone. The subtitle says How to Survive, Thrive, and Overcome in the Midst of Difficult Situations. And this book is dedicated to our partners. And we're going to send you Denise's book called The Gift of Forgiveness. And friend, when you become a partner, it is amazing what happens. Through your regular giving, someone else's prayers are answered. There are people out there crying, saying, God, please send me somebody that can bring me teaching of the Bible that I can trust. And when you become a partner, you enable this teaching to go to that person. And just like it's been a blessing to you, it becomes a blessing to them and it changes their life. That is what is so powerful to become a partner. And the moment you become a partner, we're going to send you these two books. And if you're already a partner, thank you for being a part of our partner family. And remember that if you need prayer, we're here and we want to hear from you. So give us a call or go online. And the moment we hear from you, Denise and I and our prayer team, we're going to release our faith for God to do something wonderful on your behalf. But I'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, 
and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. I am so glad you've joined me, and I want you to reach for your Bible, because we always use the Bible in this program. And today, open your Bible to James chapter 2, and we're going to begin by reviewing verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to begin brand new in verse 5. But listen to what James writes in James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Verse 2, for if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man. And that word poor is the Greek word patokos. It describes a pauper, one that is desperately poor in vile raiment. Verse 3, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the pauper or to the poor man, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? It seems that these Jewish believers had a preference for wealthy people and didn't make too much room for people that were of a lower economic status. But my friends, we need to keep our thinking straight about economic status and money. So we're going to begin now in verse 5. And in verse 5, James continues, and he says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Verse 6, but you've despised the poor, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Verse 7. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the, which you are called? Verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. But notice how he begins in verse 5. He begins with the word hearken, which is a form of the Greek word akua, which means hear me. Comprehend me. Akuo is where we get the word acoustics. Let my words go into your ears. Really hear them. Really understand what I'm saying. I want you to comprehend what I'm about to say to you. And then he says, hearken, my beloved brethren. This word brethren appears over and over and over in the book of James because he's writing to people that are struggling in various aspects of their life. And when he uses the word brother, the Greek word adolphos, not only is it a very endearing term, but it was used militaristically to describe a comrade or a fellow fighter. Brotherhood, camaraderie. He's coming right down to their level, not speaking down to them, but he's coming down into the trenches, looking right into their eyes and speaking to them directly. He says, hearken, my brethren, hath not God chosen... My friends, this word chosen is so powerful. It is a Greek word, ek legomai, a compound of two words. The word ek means out. It's where you get the word for an exit. Legomai is from the word lego, which means I say. But when you compound the two words together here, it is the Greek word ek legomai, which means, listen, to call out, to select, to elect, or to choose which means if we belong to Jesus, it's not an accident. He called us out. He selected us. He elected us. He chose us. And in fact, this word eklekomai refers to individuals who were selected for a specific 
purpose, which means God called you to do something magnificent. Furthermore, it conveys the idea of the privilege and honor of being chosen. What a privilege and an honor that God chose us. It is so connected to the idea of privilege that those being elected and selected should look upon themselves as being honored, esteemed, and respected. That's who we are. We are chosen. God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It doesn't matter what your economic status is today or how much money you have or do not have if you're chosen. My friends, you're honored, you're esteemed, and you are respected by God. And every called out saved person should be treated with honor, with esteem, and with respect. But in James 2, 5, he goes on to say, Hath God not chosen the poor the poor of this world. The word poor is the Greek word pitokas. Now in Greek, there are several words for poor, but the word pitokas, it is the most abject term for poverty. It means one who crouches or cowers like a beggar because he's embarrassed, one that is beggarly, one that is poor, one that is deeply destitute, lacking in earthly resources, it is the very word for a pauper. And he goes on to say, Hath God not chosen the poor of this world? The word world here is not the word gaze, which would refer to the physical planet, but rather it is the Greek word cosmos. The word cosmos can be translated as the word world, but it really describes world systems, world institutions in the view of the world and all the systems of the world. If you look at who God has chosen, he has chosen those who are paupers in comparison to the rest of the world. And if you look at the first century when the church was first being born, the church was not primarily comprised of high-level, aristocratic, blue-blood people, but it was very common people that God chose. That is the army that began the church of Jesus Christ. But the verse says, Hearken, hear me, brothers, really comprehend what I'm saying. Hath not God chosen? He's esteemed, he's honored, he's respected, he's elected, he's chosen. The poor of this world, rich, rich. But in Greek, it means to be rich, to be rich. My friends, if you came into Christ dirt poor, that is not your destiny. When Jesus came, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and verse 19, he came to preach the gospel to the poor, which means the gospel is an economic game changer. The gospel changes people's lives, including their economic status. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. And this verse says, he's chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. And the word rich here is the Greek word plusias. Such a marvelous word. This very word is used in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, to describe God being rich in faith. That word rich the same word that is used here, the Greek word plusias, means wealth so great it cannot be tabulated, vast wealth, extreme riches, incredible abundance. It is the very word which was used by Plato 
to say no one was richer than the legendary King Midas. And that very word is used in Ephesians 2 verse 4 when the Bible says God is rich in mercy, which means when it comes to mercy, God is plusius. Or I say God is filthy, stinking rich when it comes to mercy. He has so much mercy. God himself is not even aware of the extent of his mercy. It just compounds and compounds and compounds. He's rich in mercy. And my friends, that's good because we need it. God's mercy is continually coming toward us. You're never going to run out of God's mercy. But now that word plusius is used here to say God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith, filthy, stinking rich in faith. Now I want to read you another verse. When you come to Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to the church, which is in Smyrna. And listen to what he says to them. He says, I know thy works. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty. The church in Smyrna was suffering abject poverty. The city of Smyrna was a very rich city. It was a resort city, a tourist city, seated right next to the sea. And most of the people who lived in Smyrna were well-to-do. But when believers came to Christ, they lost everything due to persecution. They lost their jobs. They couldn't get another job. And because they chose to remain faithful to Christ, they lost many of this possessions of the world. They lost their jobs. They lost their homes. They lost their belongings. They lost their finances. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation and poverty. The word tribulation here is the Greek word thalipsis. It means to be hard pressed, to nearly feel that you can't breathe, to be crushed, to be suffocated. This was suffocating poverty. And the word poverty that is used here is this same word, which describes abject poverty. They weren't poor because they were bad workers. They were poor because they lost everything when they came to faith in Christ. But now when we come to James chapter 2, Verse 5, it says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? In faith. And let me tell you, if you're rich in faith, everything else will change. First of all, when you're rich in faith, there are so many kinds of riches in your faith. There's the fellowship of the Spirit that is so rich. There's fellowship with other believers that is so rich. There's camaraderie between you and others that is so rich. There's the fullness of the Spirit that is so rich. There are the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. They make you so rich. But in this particular verse, it says you're rich in faith. Faith. From the Greek word pistis, it describes a force that is moving forward. I say faith is like a bullet shot out of the gun. If you have released your faith, it's going to take you from where you are to another place. Faith never leaves you in the same place. And he says you are really, really rich in faith and your faith is going to change your circumstance. It's going to remove you from where you are and take you to a new place. What is that place? Well, listen to what it says. Verse 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath God not chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs? <laughs> heirs. The word heirs here, the Greek word kleronomos. It means someone who inherits. In ancient times, it depicted inheritance, a title deed, a legacy, an inheritance, or inheritable 
materials or a heritable estate. And in Christ, the lot has been cast in our favor, and we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, according to Romans chapter 8. And everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. And if we're rich in faith, the Greek word pistis, indicating a divine force that causes you to move from where you are into another place, it will take you right into all of your inheritance, which is in Christ Jesus, which means if your economic status is low, it can be changed. That is why I said when Jesus preached the gospel to the poor, it was an economic game changer. Say amen. And verse 5 goes on to say, Hath he not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Kingdom. The word kingdom is the Greek word basileia. It describes a realm of rule. God's intention is for every person, regardless of their economic status, to eventually come to a place where they live life with reigning power. Then he says, which God has promised to them that love him. It is a divine promise to you. It's a divine promise to every believer, to every person that loves him. And the word promise is a Greek word which describes a promise, a guarantee, or God's pledge. This is God's pledge. But then when you come to James chapter 2, verse 6, we find that the believers that James was writing to have had judgment against the poor. My friends, we need to give the poor the gospel. If people are suffering economically, we need to teach them the Bible, not judge them for being poor. Their faith, if released, and if they stand on the promises of God's word, can be changed. They can be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that God has promised to them. So he says in verse 6, but you've despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? The word despised is the Greek word atemezo from the word timao, which means to honor or to esteem. But when it turns into etimazo, it means mm, to dishonor, to insult, to be shameful in your behavior of another person. We already saw in the first four verses that when the poor came into their church services, they were saying, hey, you, stand over there. But you that are wealthy and have a nice jewelry and are dressed nice, please, we want to give you a preferred seat. My friends, this is not right. Everyone rich had to start somewhere. Most people are not born wealthy. And my friends, it doesn't matter what status you were born into. If you'll grab hold of the word of God, if you will release that faith that will take you forward, and if you'll enjoy what you have received in Christ as part of your inheritance and learn to reign, your economic status can change. And so can the economic status of any person that you meet or that is attending your church. Don't judge them just because they're poor. They're not going to be poor forever. And, but this verse says they had despised the poor. Mm. And the word poor, again, the Greek word pitokos, meaning one who crouches or cowers, he's embarrassed because of his status, like a beggar, poor, deeply destitute, lacking in earthly possessions, a pauper. Then he says in verse 6, do not rich men oppress you, oppress you? These are the ones causing you all the trouble. But these poor people, when their lives turn around, they're going to change the world. And he's telling them, you need to keep your thinking straight about people's economic status 
and about money. Then he says in verse 6, Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat. The word draw means to drag, to lure, to lure into a snare or into a trap. The word before is the Greek word ice, which means into, right into the judgment seats. And guess what? The word for judgment seats is a place of arbitration. It is a place where judgment is given. It is the courts. And here we find the rich suing the poor. And then in verse 7, he said, Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? The word blaspheme, the Greek word blasphemeo, means to slander, to accuse, to speak against, to speak derogatory words for the purpose of injuring or harming one's reputation. It can refer to blaspheming the divine, but in general, it is any derogatory speech intended to defame, injure, or harm another's reputation. And in a broader sense, it includes shameful, ugly speech or behavior intended to humiliate someone else. He says, do they not blaspheme? That worthy name, the word worthy here is the Greek word kalos. It means that good name, that noble name, that superior, that exceptional name. The word name being the Greek word onoma, which means the name of Jesus or a reputation. It can describe a person's reputation. Then he says, by the which you are called, the name conferred upon you, referring to the name of Christ. They were blaspheming Christ. And they were derogatorily speaking about believers, trying to humiliate them and shame them and injure their reputations. Then he says in verse 8, If you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. The word fulfill is the Greek word teleo, which means to bring to completion, to bring to maturity, to reach an aim, or here is the aim of the royal law, that thou shalt Love thy neighbor as thyself. The word love here, the Greek word agapeo, it's the word agape. It describes the God kind of love, the highest kind of love, what I call high level love. It is a love that loves with no strings attached. You're not loving for what you're going to get back. You're just loving. And here it says, thou shalt love thy neighbor the word neighbor here, the Greek word plesion, the one near you, any person near you in some way, it is translated as the word neighbor, and we're all surrounded by all kinds of folks, and it doesn't matter who they are or what is their economic status, we are to love them with agape, high-level love, and the scripture says, if you'll do this, you do well. And the word well that is used here, the Greek word kalos, it depicts that which is noble, that which is good, superior behavior, something that is exceptional, of the highest quality, outstanding. My friends, we are to love everybody with the love of God regardless of their economic status. And rather than judge people by their exterior appearance or by what they have or what they do not have, remember that the gospel is an economic changer. It changes everyone's life. And if someone comes into the church poor, they won't be poor long. If they release their faith, they will learn how to be heirs of the kingdom. They'll move into reigning power along with the rest of us. And that is God's promise. That is his guarantee. That is his pledge to everyone that loves him. I'll be back in just a moment and I'm going to pray for you. 
Is your thinking right or wrong? If you figured out that some of your thinking is wrong, how do you fix it and start thinking healthy and right thoughts? What goes on inside your head determines what goes on in your life. So keeping your thinking straight is really important. In this five-part series, Keeping Your Thinking Straight, Rick Renner will teach you five steps to change your thinking. Thinking straight about religion. Thinking straight about prejudice in the church. Thinking straight about economic status and money. Available in digital and physical formats starting at just $10, you'll learn how to identify wrong thinking and start thinking healthy, powerful, and life-changing thoughts. In addition, we are also offering you Rick's book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. In this book, you'll discover what Christians need to be doing to stay out of the chaos and remain anchored to truth. You'll also learn how to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to discern right and wrong teaching, to be grounded in prayer, and to be spiritually prepared for living in victory in these last days. Let Rick take you deep into New Testament prophecies about the end of the age and about what you need to do to sail successfully through turbulent end-time waters. This powerful and eye-opening book can be yours for just $20. Don't miss this special offer, this series, Keeping Your Thinking Straight, and the book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. Friends, this is Rick Renner. I want to give you a good report. It is amazing, but we just signed the papers to purchase our new building in Tulsa, a new headquarters for our ministry. We've been in the same location for years and years and years, and we've outgrown it. And because so many people are reaching out to us for more teaching and for prayer and for ministry, we need more space so we can effectively minister to them. And at the same time, we're constructing our studio in Moscow, where we're going to be filming the most wonderful Bible teaching programs that touch people all over the world. But the only reason we're able to do all of this at one time is because of people like you that are members of our giving team. And because of your gifts, we're able to do this in Tulsa, we're able to do this in Moscow. And my friends, I want to remind you that it's not about the buildings, no, no, no. It's about people that need to be touched. We just need space so that we can minister to them. And I want to say thank you so much for being a part of the giving team and remaining a part of the giving team as we get the buildings ready and put up walls and get ready to produce programming and to minister to people all over the face of the planet. And if you're not a partner and a member of our giving team yet, please become a part of our team today. Wow, we have had quite a week studying about how to keep our thinking straight. And today is the last day that we're offering you the brand new series called Keeping Your Thinking Straight. It's five parts. It comes in multiple formats. And the subtitle says, Biblical Guidelines for Thinking Straight in a World All Messed Up. And this week we covered about how to get rid of wrong thinking, five steps to change your thinking, thinking straight about religion, thinking straight about prejudice in the church, thinking straight about economic status and money. 
My friends, this is so powerful and it comes with a study guide. Order yours right now by going online or by giving us a call. And when you reach out to us, let us know how to pray for you. We really want to pray for you. And we're also offering you my book. Today is the last day we're offering it called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, Developing Discernment for These Last Days. Order yours now by going online or by giving us a call. But I want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you that regardless of our economic status, the gospel is an economic game changer. Lord, if we'll release our faith, we will learn to be heirs and rulers in the kingdom that you have guaranteed and pledged to every person that belongs to you. Help us, Lord, to embrace your word, stand on it, act on it. And Lord, we thank you that your word can change all of our economic status. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. I'll see you next week. But remember, Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there's power.